What's up, peeps? We're back. As always, I'm your host, Lee Benson. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast edition of the AEW Insider. Backlash just ended, so I got my whole review and thoughts of the show. Right now, as we speak, The Undertaker Episode 4 of The Last Ride is on, and I have to say, I wanted to finish watching it. I didn't want to come record the show, not to get you guys, but it was that fucking good. So when I get done, I got to get back to it. So let's get to the pay-per-view, but of course, this is the AEW Insider, so we got to cover AEW. Stick around to the end of the show if you want to hear how you can win a Chris Jericho AEW action figure. On to AEW. Now, Chris Jericho talked to Walt Culture and spoke about AEW and what WWE star he would love to have in the company. La Champion said, I put Roman Reigns right at the top of that wish list for anybody. Not only is he a great worker, but he's such a cool guy. If they just let him be him, he'd be the biggest star in the industry. For real. That'd be a guy I'd love to get my hands on for sure. And also about Jericho's growth and his character while being with the company. I anticipated it was going to be big. I didn't anticipate it was going to be as big as it is so quickly. I just like being able to tell these stories. And we have total freedom with AEW to do what's right. Are we competition to WWE? Of course, by proxy. But we don't think about it that way. We just want to give people an alternative and let artists be artists. And I love that. On to WWE and Backlash 2020. On a pre-show, they did have the United States Championship up for grabs. It was the defending champion, Apollo Crews, versus Andrade. It was a very quick show opener. KO and uh, what you call Garza were outside, you know what I mean? Getting involved, not getting involved, yada, yada. But in the end, Apollo Crews did retain his title. Then they moved on to the main show. First up was the Women's Tag Team Championship match. It was the defending champs, the boss, Sasha Banks and Bailey versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus the Iconics. And this was a really good match. A lot of people were looking forward to this match. I don't know why they put it on so early. Uh, the winners of the match were Sasha Banks and Bailey. They actually retained their title. Like I said, I did like it a lot. There were a lot of pin reversals and spot. My only complaint is, is that it was too short and there wasn't enough iconics for my taste. Bliss went to pin Sasha at the end, but she reversed the pin for one of her own and she picked up the win. Still your women's tag team champs and best friends forever. Bailey and Sasha. After that, another match I think should have been later on the card. We did have Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. This was definitely a sleeper match on the card. Sheamus dominated most of the first in the match, and then what you call it, to build up Jeff's underdog status. So they wanted Sheamus to totally kick his ass, make Jeff look, uh, what you call it, helpless, and then come back for the win. They both hit their signatures and their finishers. Sheamus actually kicked out a Hardy Swanton. Then Hardy actually ate two of Sheamus's bro kicks. Sheamus actually got the one, two, three. Your winner was Sheamus and I myself, and I don't think a lot of people seen that one coming at all. Next up, we did have Asuka versus Nia Jax for the Raw's Women's Championship. 
Now, Asuka was not scared of Naya, and she had no plans on Naya bossing her around and tossing her around like she does her best friend Kari Sane. Asuka took it right to her with zero fear. After a near submission, Naya took control, and she pummeled Asuka for a while. Yet, Asuka would not give up. After that, Asuka got the upper hand and legit whooped Jax's ass. So bad, in fact, they were outside the ring, and they didn't even she, everybody, like, she didn't even pay attention to the referee because she was just beating Naya's ass that bad. So they both got counted out. Asuka did retain her belt by the countout, and I love how she brought it to Jax. And you could tell this rivalry will continue a little bit more. Hopefully not to SummerSlam, but definitely they'll be fighting on the next pay-per-view. All right, peeps, I got to get a drink real quick. We will come back. I got to the best, I mean, I got the rest of the backlash results. I'm fucking stopping this. All right, peeps, welcome back. Remember, stick around to the end of the episode to hear how you can win a Series 1 La Champion action figure. And please, show us some love on all major podcasting platforms, also on YouTube and Facebook under the AEW Insider, and on Twitter under the AEW Insider 1 as a number one. Let's get back to the show. Next up on the card was Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. Now, I love this whole Lashley MVP thing. Early in the night, Lana came up to MVP, and he let her know that he was not behind her not being at ringside. Bobby wanted that, not him. And if she had a problem with that, that she should go talk to Lashley. And then he said, I highly doubt you'll do that. Anyway, Lashley came out, Drew came out, and Lashley attacked Drew right from the door. Did not even let him take his ring jacket off. He just dominated Drew. After a while, Drew made a comeback, but he was so beaten down, he really couldn't capitalize. Lashley took control, and even though he kept whooping Drew's ass for a while, Drew just kept kicking out on a one count. It was crazy. Of course, at the end, Lana showed up and she went right to the ring apron to have it out with Bobby Lashley. Drew hit Lashley. Lashley hit Lana, who fell on top of MVP and hit the floor. Lashley was looking at her concern, turned around. Drew hit him with the Claymore, and boom, he got the win. I love how they are showing the real Lashley. If you don't know, he's a legit bare-knuckle street fighter in real life. He loves everything about it. He actually wants Vince to let him fight in one very soon, but who knows how that'll turn out. I hope one day WWE lets him achieve all the things he has in other promotions. But your winner, and still WWE champ, is Drew McIntyre. On to the Raw Tag Team Championship match. We did have the Street Fighters, I said, listen to me, the Street Fighters, the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders. Uh, this one was filmed in cinematic view, like the Boneyard match, like Money in the Bank. Their fight started off in a parking lot, and one of the Raiders got put through the windshield of Braun Strowman's newly fixed classic car. If you remember, his car got damaged either last week or the week before that. He got it fixed up. He was all happy. He showed up at the beginning of the show, and that guy, and those guys fucked it up. So you know none of them wanted that Braun Strowman smoke. They brought the fight backstage instead. They all grabbed crazy weapons. The Viking Raiders had a shield in each hand. One had a bowling ball. One had an axe. The Street Profits had other shit too. It was fucking getting crazy. So they said, hey, we're getting crazy. Let's drop the weapons and fight man to man, hand to hand. Uh, and they decided to get it was it was just fucking nuts. Even though they said that two of them like went off somewhere, and uh, Montez Ford got knocked down. The one Viking Raider kept daydreaming through the whole match. He woke up. He picked up. Uh, excuse me. Um, 
a bowling ball, and he bowled it right into Montez Ford's nuts. Montez did some good acting, too. You really would have thought he got hit with the nuts. So anyway, they met up with the other two back in the parking lot. They were about to fight and shit, and then eight speed bikes pulled up. They all had helmets on. You couldn't tell who these guys were. The one got off the bike, and he came out, and it was Tazawa. Tazawa, the fighter from 205 Live, and he was a leader of a motorcycle gang of ninjas. That's right. He was dressed like a ninja, and he, the, everybody else on a bike were fucking ninjas, the black outfits and all that. It was awesome. He told them, because the whole thing between the Viking Raiders and the Street Prophets is what you could do, I could do better. So Tozawa told them, anything you can do, we can do better. So he had his crew go and attack them. It was fucking crazy. So the Viking Raiders teamed up with the Street Prophets, and they became the Viking Prophets. Tozawa then sent his bands of ninjas after them into two tag teams again. The Viking Prophets made short work of the ninjas. Then Tozawa called out his last resort. It was legit. A big seven-foot black ninja. And I just don't mean his clothes were black. It was a big brother. So they both teens ran away from him, and they ended up fighting, and they ended up in a dumpster. Literally a garbage dumpster full of trash. And after they did a little skit, like the referee came up, told them the match was going to start. Because mind you, the match never even started. These guys were just beating the shit out of each other in the parking lot and everywhere else. So she told them that she disappeared, and there was a big growl in the garbage dumpster. So literally, fucking a big green tentacle came out and was going after them. It was like they were in Star Wars. It was insane. So uh, needless to say, they didn't even have their championship match because they did all that other bullshit and they never got to the ring. But watching that match, because you know, if you listen to the show, I've been reporting on the WWE stalker. I know they got security there. I know they got crews there. But literally, I was waiting for that motherfucker to show up and attack one of them. It was nuts. But like I said, there was no winner because the match never even officially started. But it was definitely entertaining. All right, peeps, we got to pay the bills, but you have to come back. I've got the results and my thoughts of what WWE was calling the greatest match ever with Edge versus Randy Orton. And it was pretty damn good. Plus, I got some other stories, too, but I got to wrap up the show. They only only let me have so much time. Anyway, I'm rambling on. I'll be right back. All right, peeps, thanks for coming back. We're almost done with the show. We're not done yet. We still got a little bit of way to go, but it's all good stuff, I promise you. Anyway, let's get to what WWE was calling the greatest match ever. Before the match even started, the announce team let us know that they will be using different camera angles and different tricks, blah, 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 to bring us into the match and make it help be the greatest match ever. Both of the wrestlers came out, and when they got into the ring, a literally a Madison Square Garden sign dropped from the ceiling, like what happened at Madison Square Garden. And then, like, a real ring announcer announced both of them, and they added in fake crowd noise sounds mixed with the live crowd that was there. I have to admit, it sounded great and reminded us of how it was with the crowd there. I actually loved it. They kept playing up to the story they had been building up for these two, like Edge is not ready and if he still has it in him. So, for example, during a match, Ed hit Randy Orton with two deep arm drags. When he went for the third, Randy Orton stopped himself and Edge just went and smacked his head off the mat, even though it was supposed to be that way, but it was awesome. One time, Edge Orton was on the mat on the stomach and Edge was running the ropes going back and forth and Edge actually tripped or Orton made him trip and 
Edge flew out of the ring. So they were letting you know that Edge like, still didn't have it. You know what I mean? And it made Edge doubt himself even more during the match, which was cool. So the two of them went back and forth. Um, I was very worried about Edge's neck during the match. At one point, Orton had uh, grabbed Edge by the neck, and he looked up to the sky. And I wonder why he looked up to the sky, but he proceeded to do Eddie Guerrero's three suplexes in a row without letting the opponent go. Well, he got two of them. Then Edge reversed it, and he hit three of Guerrero's suplexes in a row. It was very awesome to see the two give props to Latino Heat. After that, they continued legit to beat the piss out of each other. But the greatest match ever? I'm sorry. I've seen better matches with Kenny Omega in it, and I've seen AJ Styles have better matches just to name a few. I'm sorry to say that, but it is the truth. I won't front, though. The match was great. It went over 50 minutes to almost an hour, if not an hour long. I mean, Edge being out of there for nine years besides one match, coming back and doing an hour-long fucking match, that's fucking something, like seriously. And from what I could tell, it didn't slow down. The beatings kept coming. They kept using other famous wrestlers' finishers, like Randy Orton hit him with the pedigree he kicked out, and Edge hit Randy Orton with the rock bottom. It was awesome, and the crowd loved it. In the end, they were giving each other spears, RKOs, and they kept kicking out. Edge went to put uh, Randy Orton in the anti-venom, a.k.a. the sleeper hold, and Randy Orton low-blowed him. While Edge was on the ground recovering from the low blow, Randy Orton ran from across the ring and punted him right in the head. And he picked up the one, two, three. So your winner is the Viper, Randy Orton. Orton dropped down to Edge's ear and pretty much told Edge to tell his daughters and his wife that Uncle Randy said hi. It was a fucking crazy match. Now, overall, it was not a bad pay-per-view. Going into it, I thought it was going to be the fucking worst. Well, it wasn't. It was above average, and I really enjoyed it. Also, months ago, when WWE all talked about adding in that crowd noise, it was definitely pleasant. After after tonight, I actually loved it. It felt like normal. It felt like home. Do I want to see it every match? I don't think so. But for the big matches, hell yeah, I'm in. And some news about after Backlash, because the Edge and Orton match was actually filmed days ago or last week. FIFO Select reports that Edge has sustained a torn tricep. At this time, WWE nor Edge have addressed the situation, but an announcement will likely be coming following tonight's pay-per-view, so probably on Raw. Uh, and, uh, excuse me, the staff at, uh, I can't even talk today, the staff at eWrestling.com will keep readers updated as the story develops. That type of injury, though, that I know, because I know other superstars got it, takes at least eight months to recover from. So Edge is back, but he's already out, so who knows? Now back to The Miz and Morrison. Like I said, they did a follow-up video. And I think their first video was called Hey, Hey, Ho. Well, this one was called Hey, Hey, Hey. And I won't front. It's pretty good. I mean that. The beat at the beginning of it had me going. Then it did grow tedious, but great job, boys. I dig it. Hey, Hey, Ho. Check it out. Watch Billboard for that shit. On the New Japan Pro Wrestling News. Well, according to E-Wrestling, New Japan taped a new show. According to the report, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood's productions team oversaw the taping. A total of 11 matches were taped on a closed set. Former MLW champion Tom Lawler competed twice in matches against Rocky Romero and Alex Coughlin during the tapings. In addition, Tyler Bateman 
vs. Brody King match was filmed, which will air on a future episode of Ring of Honor TV. So maybe it wasn't all New Japan. Maybe it was the Ring of Honor New Japan mix. That's what it sounds like. If so, I apologize, guys. But they worked together before. My daughter and I were there last April for the Supercard at Madison Square Garden. And what a fucking show. So that's what it seems like. They're joining up for a pay-per-view again. But at least we know we're going to be able to see it. Now, on to some random wrestling and sporting news. Now, we all know that Paul Heyman was fired from Raw. Uh, another, fu- another fired showrunner, Eric Bischoff, weighed in on that on his latest podcast on how Eric Bischoff respects Paul Heyman. He said, I really, really respect Paul. I got to know him a little bit more, and I worked with Paul since 1987, and we crossed paths many times, but I didn't really get to know him until my last stint in WWE, and my opinion of his creative skills will not be excuse me, diminished by whatever his role happens to be at this moment. He's a really talented dude. He's quirky as shit. He's got his own thing. Most really highly creative, highly aggressive people do. And Paul was a handful, but in a fun, positive way for me. Not in a negative way or a challenging way, but it was in a great way it made you feel better because it made you think. Paul's a friend of mine, and I'm fully supportive of Paul. On what Britt Bischoff thinks about how Bruce Pritchard will take advantage of the resources that he now has in his grasp. Bischoff said, And Bruce is probably one of my best friends to this day, and obviously I fully support Bruce, but Bruce is an architect more than a creative mind. But Bruce is going to be a good architect. He will know how to take advantage of the resources within his grasp, and he will do a great job. Beyond that, I don't know what to say. Well, I do know what to say. I'm really fucking glad I'm in Wyoming right now. (laughs) I hear that, Bischoff. And on what advice he would give Heyman now. I don't think there's any words of wisdom that I would have much value to Paul Heyman. Paul's a really smart guy, and he's been around the business longer than I have, and he's been involved in many ways more than I have at various levels, and he's been successful at it. So I have no words of advice for Paul other than Paul's already knows this. I'm not saying anything Paul doesn't already know. This too shall pass. It'll pass quickly, and then there'll be another opportunity tomorrow. So just lay low. And, yo, that's some really fucking good advice, and that is how WWE works. So I like that. Good shit for once, Bischoff. All right, peeps, look out for your boy. Go to our YouTube channel and check out my review of Pete Davidson's King of Staten Island. Is it a good movie? Is it a cheesy Saturday Night Live movie they made just because he's on Saturday Night Live? Is it worth the $19.99 to stream it at home? Check out the review. So the way you can check it out, actually, is kind of the same way you can win a Chris Jericho action figure. If you want to win a Chris Jericho action figure, you have to be subscribed to our YouTube. Remember, it's under the AEW Insider. Besides being subscribed, you can pick any video, like, share, and comment. So be a subscriber to our YouTube, like, share, and comment on any video, and boom, you're in the running to win a Series 1 AEW Chris Jericho action figure. And why not go watch my King of uh, Staten Island video? Give your brother some views and you get an entry in the contest at the same time. It's a win-win for both of us, peeps. Uh, Remember to check us out on all major podcasting platforms, also on Facebook and YouTube under the AEW Insider, and on Twitter under the AEW Insider 1, as in the number one. As always, I'm your host, Lee Benson. Thank you so much for joining us on the AEW Insider. Ciao, peeps. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.